safer sex. Intercourse. Condoms. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. HIV. Sexual health. Treatment. Prevention. Sexual attraction. Sexually transmitted Hello, I'm Heather and you are listening to the latest episode of the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast, where we talk about all things related to sexual health. This time around, we're talking about human papillomavirus, otherwise known as HPV. HPV is a common virus affecting both men and women. Most sexually active people will have a genital HPV infection at some point in their lives. In most cases, the body naturally clears the infection and there are no symptoms. However, some strains of HPV can sometimes cause serious illness. There are over 200 types of HPV, 40 of which affect the genital area, and the types strongly associated with cancer are known as high-risk types. Just two types of HPV, 16 and 18, cause up to 90% of HPV-related cancers, including 70% of cervical cancers and over 80% of anal cancers. Other types of HPV can cause genital warts on the penis, anus, vulva or vagina, and in rare cases, warts on the lips and mouth. The good news is that we have a vaccine for high-risk HPV types. Around 80% of Australian girls now receive this as part of a school-based program, And from 2013, this program was also extended to boys. We've seen a steady decrease in genital warts among young women since the vaccine program was introduced, and it is believed that similar reductions in cervical cancer rates will be seen in the future. The vaccine is also available to adults via their general practitioner or sexual health clinic. Until now, it has only been available as a private prescription, which has meant that it's been quite expensive. Three doses are required at a cost of $150 per dose. However, for a limited time, sexual health clinics in New South Wales, like Sydney Sexual Health Centre, will be providing the vaccine free of charge for men who have sex with men who are aged between 20 and 34. The HPV vaccination is a particularly effective vaccine. The initial clinical trials, which involved more than 20,000 women from 33 countries, found that the vaccine is almost 100% effective at preventing the abnormalities in cervical cells caused by high-risk HPV types that cause most cervical cancers. The latest research shows that the vaccine still offers close to 100% protection more than five years after it was received, and this protection is expected to be long-lasting. So today, we're talking HPV, cancer, genital warts, and young people with our own Jane Gilbert and with Professor Richard Hillman from St. Vincent's Hospital. So, Jane, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Sydney Sexual Health Centre. My name's Jane. I'm a sexual health nurse. Um, My speciality is uh, youth. I've been running a sexual health youth clinic at Bondi Junction for the last 12 years. Um, We've now moved to Headspace. It's a very active sexual health clinic. Um, We see lots of local and youth from uh, from local areas and from wider fields. So we've heard a lot about HPV in recent years, especially with the success of the vaccination program and with upcoming changes to the National Cervical Screening Program or PAP test. But HPV is usually discussed in the context of women and cervixes. 
It's less well known that HPV is a common cause of anal, tongue, throat, and penile cancers. These cancers are uncommon, and most people who get HPV never develop any symptoms. But troublingly, anal cancer rates in Australia are increasing. And preventable. Men who have sex with men are at increased risk of HPV infection and related diseases. Anal cancer is more than 30 times more common in men who have sex with men than in other men, and the risk is even higher for men living with HIV. So my first question is, is HPV on the radar of young gay and bisexual men? Is it something that they're concerned about? Honestly, no. No, I mean, and, and unless they've been diagnosed with genital warts in the past or currently, why would it be on their radar? So basically, young, uh, young women have been vaccinated for HPV for over 12 years now. And women tend to have um, regular uh, pap smears, and that's where the HPV, the, the terminology HPV has come up for, for women. Um, for men, there isn't a routine test for HPV, so there is no reason why HPV should be in their dictionary, really. Um, we don't routinely test it at youth clinics, at, at sexual health clinics. Um, but we are realizing now that HPV is probably, has, is, is more sinister than we used to think it was. Um, there are many, many strains of HPV, and, of, and some of those strains cause genital warts. So that's probably where young men may find, you know, hear about it. Um, however, um, nowadays we're seeing far less genital warts because of the long history of vaccination to women. So yeah, it's not on their radar, and it is something that we should start putting on their radar because gay men are not protected from the HPV virus through women being vaccinated in the past. So when you're talking to young people and you're, you're trying to do that, you're trying to put HPV on their radar, mm. tell us how those conversations with young people about HPV and vaccination usually go. So how I tend to bring it up with um, well, girls and boys is um, that I ask about their vaccination history. And again, honestly, they don't know. Um, they know they get injections at school, but they don't know what they've been vaccinated for. So I then go into, well, did you, did you send home a pink form to your parents? Because that tends to be the HPV form. Um, again, they don't really know what, they are, what, what forms their parents signed or didn't sign. Um, so I start using this as an opportunity just to explain and talk to them about what HPV is. Um, I explain about the different strains of HPV, that some strains are associated with genital warts, that gen genital warts um, can be unpleasant and aesthetically unpleasant. Um, and to be honest, that's, that does tend to, most young people don't want to think that they would get warts on their penis or vaginas or anuses. So that does tend to be one of the first things that they, their ears start pricking up and thinking, oh, so that's preventable. So I let them know yet that two of the strains, 6 and 11, are the ones associated with preventable warts, and yep, they can, that can be prevented. And research plays out. We are seeing less and less um, young people, uh, people with genital warts, and specifically young people. Um, I also talk about um, the fact that HPV women have been pap smeared in the past and women tend to get more informed about HPV and that 
they get told by their doctors when they have the pap smear what they're testing for and that they're testing for the the genital warp virus strains, um, the HPV strains, and some of those strains can cause cancer. Um, with guys, I say, well, there isn't those tests for guys. So, but they, we do know that those strains can cause cancers in in the bottom and on the penis and in the throats. So, in in the absence of those tests, these these viruses are preventable. So, why not get the vaccine? The next um, thing I talk about is the cost. Now, these vaccines are supplied free at school under 20. Um, but if you were to be concerned about your health and want to have these vaccines, usually in the past you would have had to pay $450 for the course. Very expensive for young, for young people. So I go straight to their pocket and I say, this is, this is free. You can have it um, free of charge and it's doing something for your well-being. So they tend to, that tends to sort of prick up their ears and they get excited about that and go on board. So as you mentioned earlier, some men under the age of 20 may have already been vaccinated against HPV while they were at school, but they don't always have a high awareness of what they've been vaccinated against and what they haven't. So what should younger gay and bisexual men or their doctors do if they don't know whether or not they've been vaccinated? Well, the chances are they don't know. And I, I, I you know, that's from my experience anecdotally. They don't really know what they've been vaccinated for. They know they've been Injected, but they don't know what for. So I would ask them again, uh, uh, just to say, did you get that pink form sent home to your parents? Did they sign that? If they really can't recall, then there is the um, Australian Immunisation Register, the AIR, and the HPV register that doctors can access once they register their service. So we can't really talk about vaccinations without talking about vaccination side effects, if only because there are already a lot of people calling attention to vaccine side effects. What are the common side effects of the HPV vaccination and what should we be saying to people who are hesitant about getting the vaccine because of them? Well, I would, again, just talk realistically about side effects. All medicines have, side, have potential side effects. And the HPV Gardasil vaccine has no more side effects than any of the other vaccines. So the most common side effect is tenderness at injection site. Um, and that can present as redness, um, t uh, soreness, a bit of inflammation. Um, arms usually they can use. Some people can also experience a little bit of flu-like symptoms. But it is rare to get... Um, the most serious um, anaphylaxis, anaphylaxis reactions. And I think from my recollection, it's been three in a million cases. So that's really unlikely. But it is a possibility, so I do let them know about that. Um, but really, yeah, I just try and let them know that it's the side effects are pretty much the same as most other vaccines, and they are small. So what's the best thing about this program? Why is this a great initiative? Um, I think this vaccine and the availability of this free vaccine is a great opportunity for young people to be vaccinated uh, against the HPV virus. Um, we don't know what strains people have been exposed to already, but hey, you know, in the absence of these tests, if we can prevent more strains, the better. So it's not going to do any harm. And young people and um, men who have sex with men, um, in the past, it's just women who've been vaccinated. I think it's a great opportunity for uh, men to be looking after their own health and preventing uh, 
a group of HPV viruses from, um, from being exposed to those viruses. So as we've mentioned, the HPV vaccination is available for a limited time for free to men who have sex with men who are under the age of 34 from sexual health clinics. What do health professionals need to know about this program and what should they be looking for to refer eligible men? Well, they have to have the conversation with um, eligible men who come into their rooms. Um, obviously, if they are having sex with, um, if men are having sex with men, um, it is important to talk about their vaccine history. And if it's if they're unsure, then I would be referring them to their local sexual health centre. They can uh, contact the sexual health information link on on one eight hundred. 451-624, and they will give them um, the local sexual health centre of the of the young of the person presenting at the, in their rooms, um, the nearest sexual health clinic. Okay, so Richard, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role here at St Vincent's. Okay, so I'm a sexual health physician, uh, and I work in the dysplasia and anal cancer services here at, within the department of uh, HIV immunology and infectious diseases, uh, and I specialize in managing people with uh, anal HPV infections, specifically those which are associated with uh, the potential for going on to develop anal cancer. So we're talking about HPV and HPV vaccinations today, and one of the things that we mentioned earlier was that the majority of sexually active adults acquire at least one variety of HPV in their lifetime and it's a near universal infection in people living with HIV. So most people clear the virus from their bodies within a year or two and don't experience any harm or complications from the infection. Considering the asymptomatic nature of most infections, why is HPV a high priority for vaccination? Okay, so as you say, anal HPV infection is incredibly common. Most people will acquire HPV infection probably the the very first time they have had sex or very soon thereafter. And it's also very easy to, um, to move from one part of the anatomy to another. So you do not need to have receptive anal sex, for example, to acquire anal HPV infection. Uh, and indeed, people who've never had receptive anal sex can still potentially be at risk of anal HPV infections. So because the virus is so incredibly common, um, virtually everybody has it at some stage, it's almost impossible to avoid acquiring the HPV infection. Uh, the use of condoms obviously is great in terms of preventing the transmission of HIV, but unfortunately it's much less effective at transmitting H pre preventing the transmission of HPV. And the reason behind that is the fact that HIV is essentially located in bodily fluids. HPV is, however, on the skin. And... Um, Inevitably, there's a lot of skin-skin contact, even if you wear a condom, and so HPV is very difficult to avoid. And as you say, most people acquire HPV, but most people uh, never succumb to any of the um, adverse effects of acquiring HPV infection. The lifetime risk of acquiring HPV in Australia is about 4%. So only about 4% of the whole total population acquire clinically apparent HPV infection, in other words, any genital warts. However, a much higher percentage of individuals will acquire HPV infection. Most people, as you say, will clear it. 
uh, a small minority of people do not clear it and a minority of those can go on to the develop the adverse consequences. So whether or not someone acquires um, the clinical problems associated with HPV infection is not closely related to behavior. Yes, you need to acquire the virus, but in fact there are many other factors which determine whether someone uh, develops any significant consequences from that. So for example, someone with immunosuppression, for example, HIV infection, um, if their T-cell counts are quite low, then they are much less able to clear the virus. And so they get a chronic low-grade HPV infection in the genital region, which over many years can, in a minority of individuals, go on to develop cancer. We don't truly understand what factors, other than um, the immune status, can influence that. I suspect that there's a genetic predisposition. Some people we know have terrible problems with genital warts or other HPV-associated conditions and who don't seem to have any significant different behavioural practices. So I think eventually we'll find that there will be some genetic predispositions within our genomes, which we can't do much about at the moment. Um, so in summary, people, most people acquire the infection, most people clear it, but a, a small but significant minority of people go on to develop the adverse consequences. Now, if you never acquired HPV infection in the first place, then you would never suffer the consequences. And that's obviously where vaccination comes in. Particularly if you're HIV positive, it's really, really important to be aware of HPV because the adverse consequences of HPV are more severe in the immunosuppressed individuals. So in terms of um, how HPV affects individuals, most people blissfully unaware that they have HPV and get on with their, with their lives never worrying about them, which is great. Um, some people, I say about 4% of the population, will acquire uh, warts, which um, can be on the genitals, obviously, but also can be in the perianal areas and intraanally. Now, most clinicians will have seen genital warts and have quite well-established regimes for treating genital warts, and they range from the physically destructive methods to, to things like amicoimod or pedophilotoxin. So most people will get a few warts at the start of their um, sexual career, and our immune systems have the ability to learn how to respond. Uh, so often people will develop warts in their teens, early 20s, maybe have a few treatments, and then their immune system uh, is fully um, tooled up to deal with subsequent exposures to HPV infections, and so many people now have no further problems. However, if an individual lacks one or two critical tools in their immunological toolkit from their parents, then they go on to have persisting problems. So you've identified there some treatment options for warts related to HPV. What are the treatment options available for HPV-related cancers in men, and how successful are they? Okay. So you're absolutely right. Um, HPV is a well-established oncogen. Um, we all know about cervical cancer, and cervical cancer affects half a million people a year, uh, and half of them will die globally. Uh, so a quarter of a million um, women a year die of cervical HPV-associated disease. But in fact, it's virtually the same um, pathological phenomena occur in other parts of the genital region and the oropharynx. So um, 
something like half of all oropharyngeal uh, cancers are associated with uh, HPV, typically HPV type 16. Um, anal cancer um, is almost entirely uh, HPV derived. Um, penile cancer is relatively rare uh, in Australia, uh, maybe 50 cases per year, but that is often HPV associated. Uh, and you can rarely get cancers elsewhere in the inner genital tract. So in terms of sheer numbers, um, uh, particularly in the HIV positive community, anal cancer is the number one um, cancer we need to think about. In people who are immunocompromised, this can occur um, really from 30, 35 years onwards. So it can affect relatively young people. Um, and it one of the challenges about diagnosing anal cancer is that because it occurs two to three centimeters inside the anal canal, one can imagine that a mass can develop there and the patient may be unaware that that's there. So in fact, several studies now have shown that the typical stage of presentation of anal cancer is several centimeters, because either because it's grown internally and people aren't aware of it, or because of the social stigma associated with talking about those sort of things, people present quite late. If an individual is going to develop symptoms, then the commonest symptom is a lump, change in bleeding pattern associated with their bowel movements, uh, and tenesmus. In other words, the, an individual will go to the bathroom to empty, empty the bowels, but don't feel as though they're fully evacuated. So if an individual has any, or, all, or indeed all of those symptoms, then they should be properly investigated. And the first and simplest thing to do is pop a finger, lubricated finger inside the person's bottom just to check for any lumps and bumps. And if there are any abnormalities at all, then have a proper um, thorough investigation. A simple test with a lubricated glove finger, a so-called digital anal rectal examination, can save lives. And it's a simple procedure. Um, we're talking... Uh, the signs suggest that even non-professional individuals can detect a lump 0.3 of a centimetre in diameter with reasonable degrees of accuracy. So a clinician should be able to at least detect that, if not something smaller. And provided the diameter of a cancer is less than one centimetre, then simple excision is all that's required. However, if the cancer gets bigger than that, then it's chemotherapy, radiotherapy, pretty appalling surgery, sometimes colostomy. Um, so the em emphasis very much is on heightened awareness, early diagnosis and early referral on to uh, people with the specialised expertise to, uh, to make their full diagnosis. So one of the complicating factors for men at higher risk of HPV-related disease is that there is currently no validated HPV test for men. We generally can't test men to see if they're HPV positive the same way we can test women. So if men haven't been vaccinated and may have HPV, what should their doctors be looking out for and how should they be screening these men? Okay, so that's a really interesting question and I wish I knew the answer to that one. Um, so HPV in gay men, particularly positive gay men, but even HIV negative gay men, is almost universal in the anal canal. So a bit of HPV there is highly unlikely to cause any problems. So the challenge is to work out which HPV is significant and which is not. And probably the best way to do that is look for persistence of the virus over 6 to 12 months. 
you're right that there is no currently validated HPV test uh, in the anal canal uh, for a number of reasons, like there is in the cervix, for example. That's now really quite an exciting new technology which is being used to identify women at risk of cervical cancer. Um, we've run a large research program here at St. Vincent's and um, we've certainly been looking at anal HPV infections, but it is very difficult to, to work out whether the infection is significant or not. Some people have anal cytology tests, like the pap smear, sometimes we call it a chap smear, uh, and it's essentially the same technology, but again the problem is that a lot of gay men, particularly positive gay men, will have abnormal pap smears most of which are not of any consequence. So it's still very much in the realms of scientific inquiry to identify which of those, what those tests mean. I would steer GPs away from doing those um, tests at the moment until we've got some more clarity over what to do with it. Otherwise you risk raising the anxiety of your patient and not being able to offer any, any meaningful outcome to it. So I think for the moment we have to stick with the DARE um, and what the DARE the, uh, and raising awareness, both for the clinician but also of the potential um, patient in terms of awareness, in terms of bleeding symptoms uh, and, and lumps. So what services are available to support gay and bisexual men and the health professionals who work with them around HPV and anal cancer? Where can people go to get more information? Well, there are a number of websites now which I think uh, give um, really quite comprehensive education in material. There's something called thebottomline.org.au, which is a, uh, quite a detailed website going into all the uh, complexities of anal cancer. I know the Cancer Council in New South Wales has developed a specific um, resources around anal cancer, and they're also very mindful of the fact that the LGBTIQ communities have um, a particular interest in, in uh, learning more about that. So the Cancer Council is worth contacting. Most GPs do not have a large gay practice and most GPs are not necessarily fully aware uh, of this condition. Anal cancer in the general population is quite rare, which means that most GPs who are dealing with a wide variety of other things, they need to be concerned about blood pressure and diabetes and children's snivels and all sorts of things. They may not be as aware of this issue as, as perhaps GPs with more specialised expertise in sexual health and, and um, the gay community. So if you've got a GP from um, one of the inner city practices where a lot of gay men go, then they're highly likely to be fully, very informed about it. But GPs in, in uh, more regional centres may often, I'm sure they're very interested to find out about it, but they may not necessarily be fully attuned to these issues. So I think the number one thing to do would be to check out the web resources and um, have a conversation with your GP. And if if your GP can help you, that's fantastic. If not, then maybe get a referral into one of the services which uh, are more specialised in this. If you have concerns around um, anal symptoms, particularly lump and changing bleeding and that tenesmus I mentioned, then if, there's, if your GP can't sort you out, then he or she, I'm sure, can refer you to a colorectal surgeon. Again, even for colorectal surgeons, it's a relatively specialized area of expertise and they may not themselves be fully up to speed with the latest treatments. 
Um, we run a service here at St Vincent specifically targeting people with anal cancer and pre-cancers uh, and we have a, uh, some the latest technology to diagnose uh, those conditions and get an estimate of the likelihood of any progression to cancer. So um, we can always take people as specialist referrals uh, when anal dysplasia is a significant possibility. And how would you recommend that health professionals go about upskilling or acquiring knowledge about the conditions? I think if you've got a clinical practice where you see a significant uh, number of gay men or indeed people with HIV, um, then it's really important to raise your awareness of this as a significant or potentially significant problem. Um, the current ASHRAM guidelines are that individuals with HIV, regardless of sexual orientation, should have a digital anorectal examination performed at least once a year. Uh, and if they have, if that individual has symptoms, then they should be investigated thoroughly. And I think, again, it's, it's about developing your networks of referral, colorectal surgeons, um, or if you're in the Sydney area, we're very happy to see people uh, in our, it's called the DAX Clinic, the Dysplasia and Anal Cancer Services. That was Jane Gilbert from Sydney Sexual Health Centre and Professor Richard Hillman from St Vincent's Hospital talking HPV. Remember, the vaccination is only available for free to men who have sex with men under 34 for a limited time. So if you are a gay or bisexual man between 20 and 34, or if you have patients or clients who are, give the Sexual Health Info Link a call on 1800 451 624 to find out how to access it. You've been listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share our link around if you want to hear more from us.